My brother is dead. He died on July 7th, 2017, and there aren't really words to describe what the last month has been like. Um, that's why I haven't done a podcast episode in a while. I've just been trying to pick up the pieces of things that were left behind. My life and the lives of his family members will never be the same. This is the darkest chapter of my life and something none of my anxiety-induced worst-case scenario kind of thinking could ever have imagined. I have extreme sadness, anger, remorse, and weirdly a type of clarity that I've never experienced before. So many things seem meaningless now because you never know when you will lose someone and you never know if you could be lost. He was only 40 years old. And I've been thinking a lot about the choices I've made and the direction I was planning for my life. Plans change and quickly. And that's a lesson I kind of keep learning over and over. You can kind of read some of the stuff I've written about this in some of the posts I've made on Patreon and also on Medium about the life I used to live years ago. And a lesson I keep learning is that each time I try to plan for something, it doesn't really work out the way I hoped it would. And sometimes in really catastrophic ways and this is a lesson that everyone learns eventually and throughout the course of their life but over the last I would say about four years now it's been happening a lot more to the point where I feel like I can't plan out even a month in advance for what I'm wanting to do. If you were to talk to me five years ago, you would have been talking to a very different person. I was a person who thought that I had things relatively figured out. I had a plan for my future. I thought that I had come out of a lot of things that would have set most people back and stifled their creativity or forward momentum. And even though in reality things were not healthy and things were not safe, I didn't realize that because I had a forward trajectory and that forward trajectory looks very different from what I ended up realizing I wanted my life to look like. 
I was basically on a kind of regular escalator of sorts. I was already married, so like, cool, got that out of the way. Sweet. I had a steady job. My husband had a steady job. We had that nice, sweet, dual income kind of thing going on. We didn't live in the hippest place ever, but it was stable and it was safe-ish. And we were just kind of waiting it out until we decided things were even more stable than they already were and we could maybe start a family and stuff like that, even though the family part I had a lot of anxieties about even during that time. And then... All of the kind of unhealthy parts of that came to the forefront. And I realized that I was in a situation that had to rapidly change. And that's fine because change is good and change forces us to adapt. And adaptability makes us stronger. So I divorced and I adapted. And then a series of events happened in my life that I wouldn't even believe if someone else was telling me. And it just kind of happened in rapid succession. And this is the most recent development. And it's been extremely shocking. It's been something that I never could have imagined and wouldn't wish on anyone in my life. But I'm trying to see the silver lining with it. I'm trying to find some sense of peace and forward momentum kind of coming out of this. And what I have is a sense of urgency now like never before. I must do certain things to not live in regret. And instead of hoping that I can do them in seven more months or six more months or five more months or whatever, I'll be doing them in four. I'll be doing something I've been saying I would do for two years. I'll be moving to a place I said I never would, and I'll be living in a way I always feared and dreamed of. I kind of mentioned this before, if someone told me what they'd gone through over the last four years of my life, I straight up wouldn't believe them. I would think they were a fucking liar. I would be like, okay, this is just kind of too much for one person. And I'll be kind of elaborating on some of those events, probably more through some of the written work that I'll be doing. Maybe not so much some of the podcasting stuff. Because I want to take my podcast in a slightly different direction. I kind of want to pivot this. And I'll be doing individual episodes where it's just me kind of talking about whatever. But I wanna, what I want to do, and this is a project, I, I've had this in my head for years now. And it's like each time I would plan for it, something weird would happen and I'd have to delay it and I'd have to delay it and it kept kind of going on in this kind of thing. And I'm at the point now where I can no longer delay it because now things have kind of lined up to where I have to be leaving 
where I'm at now, which is in Florida, and I'm going to be moving up to the Midwest probably near the end of October, so maybe sooner. It depends on a few things. And from there, after a couple months, I'll be hitting the road, and I will be literally living out of my car (laughs) and uh, relying on the goodwill of my friends and possibly strangers. And what I want to do is create a project with this podcast that highlights the stories of people that I know and maybe new people too, people that I meet kind of on the road and tell their stories. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I have had such a weird journey so far. A lot of my life has kind of resembled a living nightmare at times. And I've sat with some of the darkest pain with a completely sober mind instead of a numb one. I've let myself feel everything. And all of my worst fears came true. And it's made me fearless. And I know, yeah, it kind of sounds cliche, but life really is too short to not take chances. So I'm going to move across the country again from the swamp to the frozen lands of the Midwest. It'll be frozen probably towards the end of when I kind of get there. And then I'll be nomadic kind of indefinitely. So I want to collect the stories of my personal heroes because I believe that evil usually wins. But I want to find out how others have survived in the face of it. And the new series will be interview-based because people are complex and fascinating and scary and real. And it will be sad and angry and funny and weird and uncomfortable and hopefully cathartic. And I will find stories from maybe all 50 states. And the time has never been more right for this. I say all 50 states, that's a little ambitious, but I'm a pretty ambitious person and I have nothing to lose, really. I really am at this weird state of mind where, I mean, I've always had anxiety, but I don't have any kind of fear of what could happen because I've lived through so many really scary things. And at the end of this trip, if I'm still in poverty then that's one of the easier things I've dealt with. (laughs) So I'm basically just going to be winging it, and I'll be working along the way. I'll be doing odd jobs and all kinds of stuff like that. I want to kind of redirect focus back to my my brother's family. I'm going to be providing this information if you do want to help out. So my brother's wife and children are just amazing people. And I'm kind of staying with them as we pick up these pieces that were left behind and confront this massive loss in our lives. And if you would like to contribute to their recovery, you can donate to the Chris Kellison Memorial Fund on GoFundMe. And there will be a link in the show notes if you'd like to do that. 
uh, that would really greatly help them. They're amazing people, and this was all very shocking and disorienting for all of us. I'm still in a bit of shock over it, to, to be completely honest. But I needed to get this kind of release out. I want people to know that this is something that happens to a lot of us. And this is life. And it's scary and uncomfortable. You will survive it, though. You will totally get through it. And... It's hard for me to kind of get bogged down. I mean, what, what what I've kind of been doing lately is I've been using politics more of a as of a distraction to kind of distract from this kind of like crazy chaos that's happening right now in my personal life. Um, and there's a lot of chaos politically. And over the years, I've kind of moved away from identifying as any kind of political ideology. I want people to have the most autonomy that is good for them in whatever means they can achieve that with. And I do push back against certain things that I find limits that freedom. And I don't really want to put a label. I don't want to put a label on it, you know. Um, <laughs> but so much of it in the face of this giant loss seems really meaningless to me. So this episode is going to be a little different. I mean, I might get kind of political because that is kind of my nature. But I kind of want to focus on the personal. I mean, I do believe that the personal is a political and all of that. But I do kind of want to focus on some maybe more personal stuff since the direction of the podcast is kind of... Since the direction of the podcast is going to tend towards that direction in the future. So some things I've been kind of trying to do to cope, and I'm no therapist or anything like that. I'm, I'm certainly not an expert. I've gone to a therapist. I've read a lot of books. I've tried to be the best person that I can be in the face of a lot of the bullshit I've kind of faced in my life, but I'm by no means any kind of expert on any of this. This is just kind of what I've done to cope with the loss and cope with the chaos I've seen around me and experience. And one of the biggest things I've used is humor. I have to find some weird, funny way to kind of look at things because life is chaotic and life is absurd and nothing happens for a reason. In fact, I hate it when people tell me everything happens for a reason. I truly believe the exact opposite, and I'm not going to get into some kind of weird theological discussion about it, but I really do believe that just life is chaotic, and you get better at coping with it over time, and it is really absurd, and you do kind of have to laugh at it. So what I'm going to do now is I, I was able to write something which 
you know, writing for me is is an extremely cathartic kind of thing, and it kind of comes in waves. I'm not always super consistent with what I'm writing. I would love to be one of those people who can, like, pump out content, you know, at nice little intervals, but I've just never been able to do that. I just kind of have to write things down when they come to me, and that is my technique. So what this has kind of caused me to reevaluate is some of the kind of depression that I've experienced over the last few years too. I, I've experienced depression for most of my life, whether it was for situational reasons or just otherwise. It's something I've always kind of struggled with and I've tried to do various things to be productive despite that and kind of move forward and sometimes it is extremely difficult and I had kind of hit a rut a couple months ago with the depression even uh, even though things were going relatively well in my life I kind of fell into like another kind of bottomless pit and I kind of feeling bad for myself and stuff and I, I really hate being in that mode I really hate that it dampens my productivity and I kind of seclude myself and all of that. It's not a good feeling at all, but it's a feeling that I deeply understand and have really tried to analyze in my own mind. And dealing with this loss kind of made me look at it in a different way. It almost seemed petty and self-indulgent and I would never use those words to describe anyone else dealing with depression. This is just my own kind of like self-deprecating way of looking at things. I, I think depression is a very serious thing and you should definitely get some professional help if you're dealing with that. And I'm not a therapist and I'm not a doctor, that's for damn sure. But what I was able to do, because what I dealt with, with the loss of my brother was so profoundly sad but I was somehow able to tap into writing about the experiences I've had with clinical depression and so I wrote a little some little something and I put it up on my Patreon page and I put it up on Medium and it's meant to be kind of humorous I'm really not trying to be a kind of Debbie Downer about this. I'm, I'm really, you know, I, I'm wanting this to be a kind of lighthearted look at it, even though it's maybe not a lighthearted subject. But again, this is how I kind of deal with stuff. So I want to read a little something that I wrote. You can find it on medium.com or also my Patreon. And the title of the piece is called Top 10 Ways to Hide Your Clinical Depression. <laughs> so here it goes. Depression is boring and annoying. You don't want to be a drain on your loved ones or nosy strangers. Suck it up, buttercup. Here's my top 10 tips for turning that frown into something that resembles a less frowny mouth thing. Number one, everything is allergies. If someone asks if you're crying, you tell them it's allergies, even if you were noticed screaming in your car. Allergies are tricky and, frankly, can manifest in a lot of ways. There's no right way to have allergies. Number two, fight anyone who asks how you're doing. 
If someone asks how you're doing while you're at the store buying dill pickle chips and steel reserve in a stained bathrobe, tell them you're fine. If they press you, get into a fist fight to prove how fine you are. Number three. Hide the physical appearance of wallowing in self-pity for days with these beauty products. Waterproof mascara and dry shampoo will save your life, y'all. Remember those allergies? They ain't no match for two coats of L'Oreal waterproof mascara in carbon black. Don't forget to use an eyelash curler to make those sad eyes pop. This stuff really holds up when you can't. Haven't showered in a week, but just have to go face-to-face with the public for some stupid reason? Get you some dry shampoo to cover up the filth of your oily hair. Any brand will do. Shit, even cornstarch is okay if you're in a pinch. Throw some in there and pull your hair into a funky updo that says, I am certainly not suffering from clinical depression and am bathing at normal intervals. If you're a dude, you can get away with not showering forever and be seen as mysterious, tortured, and aloof. Ladies love that shit, even if you don't love yourself. Pro tip, if you can still buy essential oils from your stay-at-home mom's friend's multi-level marketing scheme to cover up your offensive body odor, you technically haven't hit rock bottom. Yay! If you're selling them, please get some help. Number four. Find a hobby, like hanging out in your room with all the lights off, listening to the album If You Leave by Daughter on repeat. Number five, cry in the shower instead of in front of people. You don't want to kill the vibe by crying for no reason in front of your friends. Save that shit for when you were taking a scalding hot shower until you run out of hot water. Remember, the sound of water will muffle the sound of your tears. And you get the added bonus of saving on dry shampoo for a few days. Number six, you're on a new diet. If people ask about your weight, whether you've lost or gained weight, tell them you're on a new diet. Stare into their eyes intensely but silently until they avert their gaze and change the subject. Number seven, throw yourself into your work. If you're lucky enough to have held down a job in between your new hobbies of listening to Daughter in a Darkened Room and drinking alone in silence in a darkened room, get all up in that jobby job. Work so much you distract yourself from the banality of your meaningless existence. Doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to be working so much, because throwing yourself into your work will distract everyone from your continuing downward spiral by making you appear super productive and totally normal. 8. Become a reactionary nihilist. You're not depressed, you're just too deep for anyone else to understand. Number 9. Develop a cool addiction. Like smoking cigarettes and drinking whiskey, but not like doing meth. You want to look just cool enough that people ignore your slowly killing yourself, and it's just fucking weird to be depressed without the substance abuse. Don't be a weirdo. Nobody likes a weirdo. Way better to have an addiction because then you have an excuse for blowing people off that makes them judge you less. Number 10, hide behind self-deprecating humor. You really are a sad sack of shit who can't do anything right and who no one will ever love, aren't you? Wow, you literally fuck up everything you touch. 
You will die alone after sacrificing your whole life to feed the corporate machine. Your therapist is Jack Daniels. Your mommy issues are on full blast. Lol. Jesus fucking Christ, aren't you a hoot? No one will ever suspect you have crippling depression if you constantly joke about how useless you are and post nihilist memes on Twitter. Hilarious. So that's what I managed to bang out. It was the one thing I've written kind of in a long time. And that is my take on top 10 ways to hide your clinical depression. But seriously, if you are experiencing clinical depression, you should probably get help. See a therapist. Don't listen to some podcaster making fun of herself about her issues. Probably not a good idea. But I hope it made you laugh. And I shared it out earlier. And, you know, some people thought it was kind of funny. So, you know, hopefully it kind of helped them. Relatable. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway... I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to make this episode not super fucking sad. It is really fucking sad. I'm really fucking sad. Shit is sad. Life is sad. Life is suffering and and all of that. Whatever. Okay, look. It is, but we do have to kind of move forward. We do have to pretend like Some shit is kind of normal for a bit. Nothing's normal. But we have to kind of move forward with things. So I'm going to kind of move on. I know I do a fast and loose segment on the people of Florida since that is where I'm currently residing. And you know what? I'm going to be continuing this segment for the whole time that I'm here because Florida is a unique kind of place. It really is. So I'm going to, I I have to read you this headline. I came across, normally I just kind of read headlines from the um, Florida Man Reddit, Florida Man subreddit, and that's usually good enough. I just kind of riff off of that, but I found a whole article that I thought was kind of funny. And I want to share that with you now, especially considering the recent news with the Charlottesville riots. Jesus, I'm probably, Jesus, I'm probably going to be doing another podcast about that specifically. I'm, that, that's going to be coming. I didn't want to bring it on to this episode because there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot of bullshit going down in Charlottesville right now, and quite frankly, it's real fucked up, but I don't have time to go into all of that for this episode, because it's already depressing enough. Jesus Christ, my brother fucking died. Okay, sorry, like, it's real fucked up. So, okay, whatever. This is real fucked up, too. So, check out this headline. Five self-proclaimed Florida neo-Nazis arrested in cesspool home containing, quote, meth, opiates, illegal guns, veterans, IDs, and Nazi propaganda. Whoa. Alrighty. So, this is from... Okay, don't bash the source, okay? It's from the Daily Mail. But you know what? That doesn't mean it's not real news, okay? 
This is real news. This is like some real Florida person shit. And I know because I'm from here. This is not made up. This is like regular Florida people shit. This is not like extreme by any means. So, which I don't know what county is. So, first of all, there there's some weird inaccuracies in this article. It says Tampa County Sheriff's deputies have hauled in five neo-Nazis after an investigation led them to a house in Pasco Sheriff Chris Nokoko described as a cesspool. So, Pasco County is actually, actually, the county that I'm in. In Florida, I live kind of down near Tampa, and Pasco is a very large county. It encompasses a lot of areas, and this was specifically in an area called Newport Ritchie, which I go to pretty frequently, and is a real kind of fucked up place. Holy shit, you kind of get the best of the best Floridaness up in Newport Ritchie. So my job right now is a real estate photographer. And I'm not going to lie, every time I get a job out in Newport Ritchie, I'm always like, hmm, this is going to be something. This is going to be a treat. So uh, Newport Ritchie, though, is, is all right. I mean, it's, you know... It's like any place. You're going to have weird places and okay places. So, moving on. Among the items found in the tiny home, which was so cramped and filthy that detectives could barely walk around in it, were firearms, meth, and the ideas of veterans and military and state employees. Two of the five arrested in the Newport Ritchie raid were known gang members, police allege. And this is a quote by this cop, by the sheriff. If they don't return to our community, it's a better day for all of us, he said, according to Tampa Bay Times. And they have some pictures of these poor people looking pretty rough. The raid occurred Tuesday afternoon at... You know, you don't need to know the address. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to give the address out. But all five suspects lived in the home. And then list the names, and they found all sorts of stuff. So pretty much the whole shebang. This is like hardcore, full Florida people business. And, you know, lots of guns, lots of drugs, which, I, I don't know, I don't care so much about people having guns and drugs. But they were hardcore Nazis, too. They found... The police said they found propaganda for the American Nazi family, which detailed the roles, oaths, and guidelines for the group. They found uh, on the people's Facebook pages tattoos that were had Nazi symbolism in them and stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, I, I'm not shocked that there's Nazis in Florida. I'm really not. I don't think anyone would be shocked that there's Nazis in Florida. I mean, it's disappointing that Nazis are still a thing. I'll say that much, okay? It's fucking disappointing. How wrong does your life have to go for you to dis- to actively decide to be a Nazi? Like, how fucked up does your life get that you actively decide to be a Nazi? I'm just wondering, and I really am... 
I'm curious. Shoot, maybe I'll interview a Nazi for the podcast. I don't fucking know. But I want to know how you get to that point in your life where you decide that that's a good idea. Obviously, there's a lot of anger and shit like that. But look, I grew up in kind of white trash suburbia in Florida. I mean... I had a pretty rough upbringing, I would say, compared to my peers, and I somehow resisted Nazism. I don't know. Everyone's different. Everyone's individuals. I don't know. But yeah, this is some Florida stuff. Lots of racism on their Facebook pages, stuff like that. It is amazing how out people are about their race, their racism. And I, I don't know, so I go back and forth because people are like, I'm like, oh, well, everyone despises racists and stuff like that. But then you just kind of see a lot of casual racist stuff here in Florida and people just kind of seem to roll with it. And like, yeah, I know. Oh, well, it's the current year. I know it is the current year. It's 2017. How are Nazis still a thing? How are white supremacists still a thing? Well, you know, some people feel that when other people are gaining rights, that means they're losing them, as if rights are kind of a zero-sum game. If other people who haven't had the same rights you have start getting the same rights you have, that means that you're somehow losing them. And yeah, I know, I don't expect these people to be good at math either. That's not how things work. But this is a position we're in. So I'm going to bitch about it for a while because these people are despicable and quite frankly have no excuse. If you were born in the United States, you were already several leaps ahead of a lot of other people in this world. Even if you're born into poverty and stuff like that, I mean, I've lived in poverty for a lot of my adult life and I've made an active effort to educate myself and try to find a way out of it and sometimes you can't always control where life is going to take you but you can control how you react to it and you can control the information that you're putting into your mind if you have access to the internet which most people do and you can get very cheap access to it in libraries and things like that or you can actually just go to libraries and read books, and you kind of don't really have any excuse. And especially if you're a white-skinned person in this country, you basically start life on easy mode where you're not going to face a lot of discrimination with regards to jobs or the police or schooling or things like that. You can coast along for a long time and get away with a lot of bullshit if you're a white person. And this isn't up for debate as far as I'm concerned. People can complain that like, oh, well, you know, white people don't have it, you know, easy or whatever. Like, I don't give a shit. It's abundantly fucking clear that if you're born and you pass as a white person in this country, you're going to have it easier than other people. You just are. I've dealt with the police on several occasions. I've seen this with my own fucking eyes. I've seen how they've treated my black friends. I've seen all of this. And statistics back me up on this. So I don't want to hear any kind of bitching about like, well, you know, white people kind of have it hard too. Yeah, you know, a lot of people can have it hard. Like, like you're not entitled to an easy life. 
I haven't had an easy life. A lot of my friends haven't had an easy life, but you manage to get through it. And if you come out of the other end and being a decent person, that's great. You, it takes effort. It takes effort to not be a fucking shitbag. So pull yourself up by your bootstraps, white people, and quit your bitching because I'm tired of it. And I don't really care about your feelings. I, I want to turn this around as, as if, you know, white people act like they're somehow more rational and, you know, they've achieved everything they've ever achieved based on merit alone. And that's just not how society works. When you have a very long, long, long history of influences on culture that make it to be more racist and sexist and bigoted, and all of those terrible things than it than it could be. But I kind of like to think to the future. I like to hope that these well, I know these things are being worked on, but I like to hope that they're getting better and that these things are diminishing and the backlash that you see with these Nazi kinds of gangs and these riots and these fucking demonstrations are just kind of the death knells of this diminishing force there's just a bunch of angry white dudes who 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 maybe just aren't aware of how easy they really have had it and all the opportunities that they could have to better themselves so I don't really have a lot of sympathy for them I'm not gonna cry for them I'm not gonna feel bad for their fucking plight I'm over it so <laughs> that was a kind of long Florida person segment. Normally, it's just me making fun of stuff. That kind of took a turn for the for the angry because I'm a little fired up today because, God damn it, I'm sick of these fucking Nazis with their fucking bullshit all up in my country trying to hurt people, trying to spread hatred. Get the fuck away. Just go. Just go away. No one wants to hear your pathetic whining and your fucking inferior attempts at intimidation and all of this bullshit. So I'm very much, um, yeah, I, I am kind of fired up about this. I, I think decent people should be fired up about this. This isn't some like when you, you see kind of trolly people being like oh you know I'm just doing this to get lulls I'm just doing this to incite anger in people and stuff like that like it's some fucking game and I'm not gonna lie I've maybe engaged in that kind of stuff before not in a kind of racist way though like I've never had that fucking problem but you know what people should be upset about this yeah people are gonna be upset if you're talking about white power and Nazism and all of this bullshit they have every right to be. You're basically advocating for genocide, but you're, you don't even have the balls to fucking outright advocate for genocide. It's fucking pathetic. These are navel-gazing cowards. Most of these alt-right, Nazi-sympathetic assholes are total fucking cowards. They are weak. They are just completely and I, I'm not even this isn't about gender this isn't about like trying to emasculate them or whatever they are like weak spirited people they could not handle any kind of real hardship that ever comes up upon them 
They just can't. They they blame everyone else for their problems despite having an easy pass through life to succeed and they still want to blame other people. And most of them, you know what, like I'll go ahead and say it, like I have a lot more respect really isn't the word, but I think the outright Nazis, the people who were doing, you know, the sick hills and like the very fucking hardcore Nazis, at least the ones who were saying they're Nazis, I think are more honorable than the fucking people who were just kind of cowardly trying to avoid the label and being like, well, we're not really Nazis. We just, you know, want to preserve our fucking heritage and like all these, all this dog whistling bullshit. Like, those people can get the fuck out. Seriously, those people can suck my strap on because I think they're total cowards and they would be much more honorable if they would just fucking say it to people's face what they want to do. Oh, you want to, like, genocide a bunch of fucking people and that's how you want to preserve your pathetic white fucking mayo-eating motherfucking shithead race of mediocre assholes fine just fucking say it say it to my face say it to the face of the people you want to oppress don't be a fucking loser about it so and this is I, I came across this quote and this was shared by Amy Siskind on Facebook and this is a really good quote um it was actually a quote by Naomi Shulman and this is it. Nice people made the best Nazis. My mom grew up next to them. They got along, refused to make waves, looked the other way when things got ugly, and focused on happier things than politics. They were lovely people who turned their heads as their neighbors were dragged away. You know who weren't nice people? Resisters. And that's a quote by Naomi Shulman. And it's true. It's true. People have criticized me before for bitching or complaining about this topic, but it's completely valid. These are monstrous people, and I'm not going to be nice about it. I'm not going to pander to their fucking feelings. Like, they're just trying to have a rational discussion about white supremacy. White people aren't superior. They're, they just aren't, you know? And it doesn't matter... <sighs> It's such a useless discussion when real problems are happening and people are being oppressed for the color of their skin or their gender or their sexual or gender orientation. It's just a ridiculous thing to complain about and good riddance with these people. I don't think this is going to really last long. At least I hope not. You've seen kind of a resurgence of it with the Trump administration or whatever. But I do think that it is dying out. I really hope it is. And if it's not, then it needs to be pushed back against even harder. And I will be doing maybe some following podcasts about that specific topic if we really want to dive into it. But we are getting to be kind of out of time. And I don't have... This is a very off-the-cuff episode i don't really have a sassy bun kind of planned out and what i'm going to do is there, there's actually a few women i would like to give shout outs to 
in this episode and I haven't cleared all of their privacy stuff with them. Um, so I can't name everyone by name, but I will name some people by name because they are public activists. These are all women who came out and helped in the aftermath of my brother's untimely death in the past month. I've really met some heroic people and I've just been stunned by the amount of support that's come out from so many, so many people. It's just amazing the amount of people who have not only contributed to the GoFundMe, but also just helped in really practical ways, whether it was through emotional labor or just coming by and like cleaning the house or like cooking food, bringing food by, or just being like a shoulder to cry on or an ear to listen to. It's just been amazing. And it's really made me appreciate the people that I've surrounded myself with and also the people that my brother and sister-in-law know too. They really know some amazing people because they they were amazing people and they really drew in a lot of just super badass people who've come and helped. And I want to give a shout out. I really hope to interview this person in the future. She helped orchestrate all of the funeral arrangements when we were all deliriously fucked up from all of this. She came in and like handled everything like a motherfucking boss. And her name is Melissa Unfred. And she is known as the Modern Mortician. And you can actually like her Facebook page and Instagram and all of that. The Modern Mortician is the name of it. And she specializes in, which this is a movement that I'd kind of heard about, but I didn't really deeply know that much about until I met her and got to talk to her more. But she's very big in the death positive movement which is breaking down stigmas and stereotypes around death and dying and she does all sorts of events where she answers people's questions and she helps out so many people with the losses that they're going through she focuses on unconventional ways of burials and things like that some that are very environmentally friendly. You know, she's a big advocate of therapy and helping people cope. Uh, She has this awesome therapy dog named Kermit, who is just like the sweetest dog ever. Like this dog is just so, so cool and is such a good source of like emotional support for people who are grieving. So I want to give a huge shout out to her because she brought everything together and just swooped in like a boss and just fucking saved us. Like it was just amazing. So definitely check out her stuff. TheModernMortician.com is the website and she also has Facebook pages and Instagram. She is just a super superhero. Also just a lot of people who are local in Tampa I I hope to interview maybe a couple other of these women too on the show. I'm not going to put out their names 
just yet because as of the recording of this episode, I haven't gotten clearance to put that out there and I want to respect their privacy. But I've been met with just so many badasses who have connected me with resources for grieving and resources for other things, you know, we've kind of been dealing with trying to figure all of this stuff out because when someone dies unexpectedly and like they don't have a will or something like that, everyone's just kind of scrambling to figure out like, what the fuck do we do? Holy shit. And so many of these people kind of came together and were like, hey, this is the next step. This is kind of what you need to do. And we're really, really instrumental. And so I want to thank them. I also want to give a shout out to my sister-in-law, Amy. Um, she is an extremely strong woman and just this is the worst thing that can happen to someone. We've all been having a really rough time, but obviously this is this is her husband and she's an awesome person and definitely contribute any kind of support you can for her. My niece also amazing, just extremely brave and talented and wonderful and this is extremely unfair to both of them. They've handled it with grace and maturity and I'm very, you know, honored to have them in my life. And then there were even other friends who came in from out of town right after all this happened and were just there, I mean, staying up all hours of the night for emotional support and helping us all, all out and it was just, while it was extremely tragic, it was also a very beautiful thing to see everyone coming together in the face of this, you know, horrible tragedy. So the sassy buns for this episode are, there are many of them, and they're just truly awesome people. And, and of course, yet yeah, there were a lot of men who helped to just, you know, with some, with a lot of the logistics and, and all of that, but like really who stuck out. I mean, Melissa was so instrumental, like none of us would have known what to do without Melissa. Um, so definitely check out her stuff. She's amazing. And I think that's a wrap for the episode. That's kind of, I've been putting off doing this because I've been unsure kind of how I'm going to navigate talking about this issue because it's still so recent, but I also realize that I have to have some kind of normalcy in my life and I have to kind of put this out there. I mean, it's not easy to just put out all of this kind of personal stuff I'm dealing with, but that's the kind of podcast I want to create. That's the kind of art I want to create is highly personal and I found that whenever I've talked about highly personal things before whether it was through my writing or other mediums people really identified with it and I care less and less about what people think <laughs> over time and whether or not they think that I'm ideologically consistent or any of that bullshit like I, I don't really care anymore. I want to tell stories and I want to 
show maybe some of the darker parts of humanity and then some of the awesome parts too. So I hope you will join me in this kind of journey as a podcast evolves and changes into something that I think and I hope people will really be able to identify with. That's it for this episode. You can follow me on SoundCloud uh, or on Patreon. Uh, it's uh, patreon.com slash mklords. Uh, the podcast is called Iconosass, and I still plan on being all sassy and shit. <laughs> so even if I'm going through some shit. So I hope to hear from you. You can send any kind of questions or comments to iconosass at gmail.com. Yeah, and I'll have the GoFundMe page up in the links, um, the show notes. So thanks for listening, and I will be back in hopefully a week or two with some other cool content and, you know, maybe funnier, happier stuff or whatever. It'll at least be some real shit. So thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time. Just broke up by